Hello and welcome to the podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things, this time for the Business Week ended 13th October 2023. This is Ian Haydock. This time, BMS buys Mirati, slow Q3 for Biopharma M&A, Roche on its neuroscience strategy, Alexion talks about AstraZeneca integration, and Gilead on trial diversity. After months of speculation around a possible sale of Marathi Therapeutics, Bristol-Myers Squibb has agreed to buy the company and its KRAS inhibitor, Krasati, in a deal worth up to $5.8 billion. Andrew McConaughey writes the $58 per share agreement values Marathi at $4.8 billion with an additional $12 per share contingent value right payment to the company's shareholders worth $1 billion if its PRMT5 inhibitor candidate MRTX1719 gains approval in non-small cell lung cancer within seven years of the deal closing. That price represented a 52% premium to a 30-day average of Marathi's stock. Nevertheless, BMS has acquired Marathi at a fraction of what it was worth a year ago. Its market value has been cut by two-thirds since late 2022. Investor confidence has been hit by the mixed fortunes of Cruzati, including underwhelming sales since its US launch last December for previously treated KRAS G12C mutated NSCLC. The company has also had to deal with the European Medicines Agency rejecting Cruzati's filing in July for an accelerated approval based on efficacy doubts and the departure of CEO David Meek in August. There have also been mixed signals from its pipeline of targeted cancer drugs, but BMS believes Marathi's drugs will complement its existing portfolio, currently dominated by its immunotherapy blockbuster Opdivo, which is set to lose market exclusivity in 2028. From Marathi's pipeline, of greatest interest is MRTX1719, a PRMT5 MTA inhibitor, that BMS said could be a first-in-class therapy for cancers with MTAP deletions, seen in around 10% of all cancers. A heady start for biopharmaceutical M&A during the first half of 2023 slowed to a crawl during Q3, and particularly the months of August and September, as data recorded by Evaluate show. Biogen's $7.3 billion acquisition of Riata Pharmaceuticals in July accounted for more than half of the quarter's M&A valuation of slightly more than $13 billion, with only three other acquisitions valued at $1 billion or higher during the quarter. Joseph Haas writes the 24 Biopharma M&A transactions during the third quarter mark the lowest total since the 23 announced during Q2 2021. Each quarter since had seen at least 30 Biopharma M&A deals, according to Evaluate, including 35 in Q1 2023 and 33 in Q2 2023. A first October analysis by Stiefel determined that M&A activity during the first half of 2023 put the sector on pace for its second largest M&A year by dollar value after the $328 billion recorded in 2019. But the Q3 decline now sees this year on pace for about $143 billion in biofarm M&A activity, a middling total for the last 10 years, though still $16 billion higher than 2022's total. Acquisitions during Q3 had an aggregate valuation of $13.08 billion, down from more than $29 billion in the second quarter. 
Valuation is always tricky to assess, however, because many deal announcements do not provide detailed figures. Evaluates tracking of biopharma sector venture capital fundraising hints at part of the reason for the M&A slowdown. Q3 saw $3.95 billion in aggregate VC funding, down from the totals of both Q1 and Q2 this year. The plodding pace of IPOs in biopharma has created downward pressure, causing investors to use their money to prop up their portfolio companies while awaiting a better financial environment for exits, whether by IPO or M&A transactions. Two other factors that likely held down biopharm M&A are the uncertainties around drug pricing in the US as the industry adjusts to the Inflation Reduction Act provisions enabling price negotiations. At the same time, the US Federal Trade Commission oversight that delayed the closing of 2022's biggest M&A deal, the $27.8 billion Amgen buyout of Horizon Therapeutics, also may be giving potential acquirers pause, even though Amgen and the FTC have reached a settlement. While Roche is still probably best known for its leading position in oncology, the Swiss pharma company has in recent years become the world's biggest neuroscience company based on revenues. This is thanks to fast-growing spinal muscular atrophy drug ERISD and its multiple sclerosis market leader Ocrevus. Overall, Roche's neuroscience portfolio is expected to reach around 9 billion Swiss francs or close to $10 billion this year, well ahead of rivals such as Biogen and Novartis. However, in neurodegenerative diseases, it's clear that other companies, most notably Biogen, are currently setting the pace, Andrew McConaughey writes. Most significant is Azi Biogen's beta amyloid targeting antibody Lekembi for Alzheimer's disease, which received full US approval in July. For Roche and its US-based biotech subsidiary Genentech, there's a clear feeling of unfinished business. The company has spent decades on its own beta amyloid antibody contenders, Grisenumab and Gantanerumab, only to see both fail in phase 3 studies last year. Roche has not given up on Gantanerumab altogether and has re-engineered it to more easily cross the blood-brain barrier using its brain shuttle technology. Now referred to as trontinimab, the molecule could be filed by 2026. While Roche has missed out on being a pioneer in disease-modifying Alzheimer's treatments, it's looking to be in the next wave of innovation across a range of neurodegenerative conditions. As limited penetration through the blood-brain barrier is one of the biggest downsides of CNS-targeted antibody therapies, Roche's deal-making over the last few years has focused on investing in a range of alternative modalities. The company announced in late September a new extended deal with one of its existing partners, Ionis, from which it has licensed rights to two undisclosed early-stage programmes targeting RNA, one for Alzheimer's and another for Huntington's disease. Instrumental in making the deal happen was Tom Zajancek, Global Head of Neuroscience Ophthalmology and Rare Diseases at Roche's Pharma Partnering Division. There's an exciting buzz in neuroscience right now because we are starting to see approvals come through and targets being validated, he commented, adding that Genentech and Roche are extremely well positioned, not only because of our pharma R&D experience, but also our presence in diagnostics. Zajancek said that finding alignment on scientific values and methods were very important in prospective partners. 
People often focus on financials when they look at deals, but there's much more to forging a successful collaboration. It's about sharing values and a scientific approach and trust in order to move things successfully through clinical development. See the article in full for more insights into Roche's neuroscience strategy. Two years after AstraZeneca completed the acquisition of the rare disease specialist Alexion Pharmaceuticals, the companies have started executing on a combined growth strategy with Alexion left to lead the charge in rare diseases. Alexion recently held an event at its Boston headquarters to shine a spotlight on rare diseases, after which senior VP US Commercial Operations Scott Weintraub talked to Scripps Jessica Merrill about the integration into AstraZeneca Alexion's near-term growth outlook and leveraging its big pharma parents' resources. AstraZeneca has largely left Alexion to run with autonomy in rare disease after completing the acquisition in mid-2021, but with bridges to the larger enterprise, Weintraub said. It was understood that rare was different. The way we structure the teams, the types of resources you need, and so largely from day to day in terms of how we commercialise drugs, Nothing has changed. The bridges come into play as to what benefits the overall enterprise, Weintraub explained. For example, the companies have combined their genomic medicines capabilities. Lexion has also moved quickly to commercially leverage AstraZeneca's geographic footprint, one of the early benefits of the acquisition to Alexion. Alexion distributed products in roughly 30 countries prior to the acquisition and has now doubled the number of countries where it distributes medicines to 60 under AstraZeneca. Alexion has a target to be in 100 countries by 2030. Indeed, geographic expansion will be one of the growth drivers for Alexion in the near term. Its two largest selling products are the first-generation Complement 5 inhibitor, Soliris, and the second-generation product, Ultimiris, both approved for multiple rare disease indications. Weintraub pointed to China as a large untapped commercial opportunity for Alexion, a region where AstraZeneca has established a strong infrastructure. Certainly, smaller countries by themselves won't be huge contributors, but as an aggregate, we do think that will be meaningful in terms of growth, both in the emerging markets and particularly China. But even in smaller, mid-sized European countries, we think we can grow our presence even more and so, over time, it will grow and be a significant contributor to our growth, he said. Finally, Gilead Sciences notes it was an early adopter when it comes to trial diversity because of its historic focus on HIV. But its development of Vercluri brought it into the spotlight when the New England Journal of Medicine published an article in August 2020 highlighting disproportionate enrolment of white participants in the National Institutes of Health's early trials of the COVID-19 antiviral. That article helped jumpstart the biopharma industry's current focus on clinical trial diversity. The California-based biotech highlighted some of its focus on trial diversity in a 3rd October session at the Reuters ESG Investment North America meeting in New York, Alec Diamond like writes. The event drew companies from across a variety of industries and Gilead highlighted how trial diversity is part of its own ESG efforts. Although clinical trial diversity had been a topic of discussion within the industry for many years, 
It was the COVID-19 pandemic that really brought it to the fore. Companies developing vaccines against SARS-CoV-2, notably Moderna, Pfizer, BioNTech and Novavax, quickly began emphasising minority enrolment in their studies. The US FDA has taken steps to drive diverse enrolment, including mandatory clinical trial diversity plans. The industry anticipates guidance from the FDA on its new mandate by the end of the year, but the agency is expected to be more understanding and flexible in its enforcement when sponsors miss trial diversity goals. At the Reuters ESG conference, Gilead executives said they had been ahead of the curve. In terms of diversifying trials, so even 10 years before the FDA put out its guidelines on how we should be as an industry diversifying trials, we were already making sure that the African-American community and the LGBTQ community were part of our research, Gilead's Senior Vice President of Public Affairs, Alex Colomparis, said in his opening remarks. Gilead Vice President of Clinical Development, Jared Byten, said in an interview that Gilead has learned how to have a wider group of stakeholders with every year and every clinical programme. Although Gilead has done studies in areas like HIV that specifically target groups like women and African Americans, even before the pandemic it had already made sure that studies enrolled diverse and representative populations. I see it with the pandemic as part of that, but I see Gilead's work in HIV going back two decades, having trials and then specific trials in women, specific trials in black individuals in the United States, he told Scrip. Different drug makers have adopted a variety of practices in ramping up trial diversity initiatives, but Gilead's approach emphasises having the whole organisation involved rather than companies that have hired a C-suite diversity executive and have a large diversity and inclusion-focused team. In contrast to that, Callum Paris and Biden said Gilead's Head of Global Clinical Trial Diversity and Inclusion, Stacey Bledsoe, heads a small team of only a couple more colleagues. We purposely didn't want to grow a team there because the aim is that everyone doing clinical trials is thinking about diversity, Callum Paris told Scrip. That's all for this episode. Many thanks for listening. All the stories mentioned are linked below and can be accessed in full by subscribers. If you don't already subscribe, sign up for a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.